Welcome to The Path and the Practice, a podcast dedicated to sharing the professional origin stories of the attorneys at Foley and Lardner LLP, a full-service law firm with over 1,000 lawyers across the U.S. and abroad. I'm your host, Alexis Robertson, Director of Diversity and Inclusion at Foley. In each episode of this podcast, you'll hear me in conversation with a different Foley attorney. You'll learn about each guest's unique background, path to law school, and path to Foley and Lardner. Essentially, you'll hear the stories you won't find on their professional bios. And of course, you'll learn a bit about their practice. Now, let's get to the episode. This episode features a conversation with Foley partner Jeff Green. Jeff is out of Foley's New York office and has a practice focused on trademark, copyright, and advertising. In this discussion, he reflects on his experience growing up in Long Island, attending Cornell University for College and Cardoza School of Law. He also shares that after college, his aspirations were not to be a lawyer, but to be an actor. He talks about what it was that caused him to attend law school, and he also reflects on what happened in law school that made him realize trademark, copyright, and advertising were his passion. And I will tell you, there's an interesting connection to Miles Davis in that story. Additionally, Jeff talks a lot about the importance of professional alignment and what attorneys should do to have a career that is fulfilling. He also gets into some nuts and bolts about what his day-to-day practice entails and gives some great advice for anybody who's interested in becoming a trademark, copyright, and advertising lawyer. Overall, this is a masterclass in things that law students and particularly junior lawyers should keep in mind as they are navigating their career path. And Jeff gives some fantastic insights about the importance of collecting perspectives to help you navigate your own professional journey. Jeff Green, welcome to The Path and the Practice. Let's just jump right in and have you give your professional introduction. Sure. Thank you for having me. My name is Jeff Green. I am rejoining Foley and Lardner. I was a partner and chair of the Trademark Copyright and Advertising Practice Group from 2007 to 2017. And I was also vice chair of the IP department. And then I left to join a couple of California-based firms and literally called Peter Wang, the managing partner of the New York office in January of this year and said, Peter, how about we explore possibly a return and would you be up for it? And it happened in a matter of months and, and here I am. That's fantastic. You're like, I want it. I like to think of it as like, Peter, I want to come home. Can I come home back to Foley? <laughs> exactly. You know, after the year that we've all had in terms of COVID, in terms of working remotely, in terms of not being connected and yet being even more connected in some ways, it really made me think and rethink about personal and professional priorities. And I'm sure we'll get into this later, but one of the things that I started thinking about was my future and where I want to be and who I want to be with. And it kind of just dawned on me to give to give Peter a call. I love that. And yes, we will get to more of that. But before I explore that, I'm going to take you back almost <laughs> all the way back so that we can follow your journey to how and why it is that you, you arrived at that, that decision point. But so where are you from? Where'd you grow up? Sure. I grew up in New York, in Long Island, born and bred. I went to Cornell University and then uh, Cardozo Law School. I've always been kind of a New Yorker, a little bit East Coast centric. And it's funny, 
when I've worked at firms that have had California offices, nine out of 10 times, there have been an associate from San Francisco that has said, oh, are you, you're coming out to visit us. Are you going to be staying in the city? And my response is always, I live in the city. <laughs> There's only one city that I refer to as the city, and San Francisco ain't it. Sorry, <laughs> but it is New York and only New York. So uh, I'm a proud New Yorker. That's so funny. Well, and I want to, we'll talk maybe a bit about what it means to be, like you said, East Coast centric, particularly at a firm like Foley, which, you know, we're known as having that very Midwestern ethos and how how that is for you and what's attractive about that to you. But I want to get a little snapshot because I can't let you get away with saying I grew up in Long Island and then I went to college and then I got went to law school. We, sure. have, to un- <laughs> we have to unpack this a little bit. So I don't know, paint a vignette for me. If I was to find you as a kid growing up in Long Island, like what was life like? What What were you into? Sure. I had a pretty normal, whatever normal is, uh, childhood. Youngest of four, the only boy, the only son. I, I was active in, in pretty much everything extracurricularly, whether that's sports, clubs and activities. I was a big theater guy. I did a lot of shows in high school. When I went to Cornell, I originally thought I was going to be pre-med, but found very early on that chemistry was not my friend. And uh, decided that I would major in history, which was always another interest of mine. And then as I took more classes, decided that I would also major in theater with a concentration in acting. So I was a double major in, in history and theater at Cornell and thought for a really long time that I was going to be an actor. And I took a year off in between college and law school to pursue acting. I was a paralegal at a large New York law firm by day, working on uh, heart valve litigation cases. And by night, I was, I did an off-off Broadway show. I did two commercials. I did a music video and thought that that was going to be it. And then one summer, I literally, it was in Chicago. I sang on a cruise ship, on the Spirit of Chicago cruise ship, which was a tourist cruise ship, and you would sing a number on your own, and then all of the waiters and waitresses would then sing group numbers. And because it was during the Gulf War, we would sing a medley of God Bless America, America the Beautiful, I'm a Yankee Doodle Dandy kind of uh, medley. And then on days that I was not singing on the cruise ship and waiting tables, I worked at the Evanston Community Public Defender. And that was the first time that I thought in my mind that I wanted to go to law school. I, I was really just enthralled with the public defenders, their work ethic, their commitment. The, just It was just a tough set of cases and things that really opened my eyes. And so when I returned to New York, I applied to law school and thought that, you know, maybe public interest was was an area that that I would pursue. And summer after my first year of law school, I got an internship at Channel 13 WNET, which was the public television uh, broadcasting company in Manhattan. And I absolutely fell in love with copyright and trademark. And that kind of that's kind of what led me to copyright and trademark. And I felt as a theater or <laughs> an actor, you know, people, people thought, you know, you're going to go to court, you're going to do this. It's funny, I, during an interview 
when I was at an on-campus interview my second year, and they, the individual who was interviewing me, it was a litigation boutique, and I'll never forget, she kind of scanned my resume, saw all of this theater experience. I did the British American Drama Academy during college. I did a lot of cool stuff with, with my acting. And obviously, I didn't have anything law-related. And at that point, I knew in the middle of the interview, you just sometimes you just kind of know, this place is not for me. I'm not going to get a job. I don't want a job even if I get an offer. So I figured I'd just throw out some, some crazy kind of answers. And she, she peered over her glasses and said, I only see acting on your resume. Why did you go to law school? And I kind of deadpanned and I took a breath and I said, well, I'm a method actor. So I'm, I'm researching a role. <laughs> I said, I'm, re- I'm spending these three years reaching, you know, researching a role to eventually play in a film. Needless to say, I, I did not get the offer. You had a good time to, during that interview. I had a great well, time. Well, you said so time. many interesting things and so many things that are my favorite things. As I guess longtime listeners know, I definitely have interests in theater. And in high school, I spent a lot of time there, but on the technical, like the crew side of mm-hmm. things. And when I went to college, I had to largely abandon those interests because I felt like I needed to be very, very practical. But that just I just kind of lights me up hearing that because I think we have different sides of us. And this podcast shows that because normally perhaps people wouldn't get to hear that you were singing on a cruise ship, you know, Yankee Doodle Dandy or whatever, <laughs> <laughs> many, many years ago. So I just think that's, I think that's so interesting. And then the way you described that pivot as well. And yes, because if you're an actor, you are supposed to be a trial lawyer. You are supposed to be, you know, using those skills in front of a court. But tell me about what you were exposed to at that news station that got you so interested in the trademark and, and copyright. Like what was that work? And what about that practice area? And then we'll talk a bit about law school too, but I'd love for sure. you to tell me more about that. Sure. So it's just to take a step back for a moment, I think because of my interests in history and theater. And because I felt that I was choosing a particular path, either in law school or in life, I think what that's compelled me to be is very, very acutely aware of the importance of personal and professional development. And the way I work with associates, the way I mentor associates, the way I counsel associates is a, an extremely large part of my practice. And it's something that I take extremely seriously because given the way that I've bounced from different substantive interests and now kind of looking back at, at my career, having bounced from Foley to a couple of places and now back to Foley, it has to be aligned. Your, your personal and professional interests have to be aligned and they have to matter and they have to be given equal opportunity. And it was never about for me, but it's not about, well, I'm going to law school because I want to be a partner in a law firm. It was never about where do I see myself in 10 years? It's always been about where do I see myself in two to four years? What do I want to be doing in that time? And how do I get there? And sometimes where you are in life and your needs dictate what that means. And I'll get to that as we talk about kind of my own path. But when I got the internship at WNET, I just thought it was really cool. I had taken a trademark class in law school, which was really fascinating 
because I'm now going to date myself, the World Wide Web was just created. And we were being taught by Marcy Hamilton, this incredible professor who clerked for Sandra Day O'Connor, and she was all about the First Amendment. And we talked about this thing, this World Wide Web, which nobody in the class had, but we were all learning about, and what that meant for free speech, what that meant for, I guess, what was the beginning of a privacy practice, you know, your information that was accessible. And so I got this internship at WNET, and the entire summer I spent with the family of Miles Davis working on a jazz kind of, you know, a reflective piece on Miles Davis and his contributions to jazz. And it it was just this special on WNET. And I literally worked the entire summer with the family and the creation of materials and pulling materials. And it was so interesting because number one, I was not a jazz fan whatsoever. And frankly, I'm, I'm still not a jazz fan, but from a music appreciation perspective, from a creative expression perspective, from just a personal, from his own circumstance and his own upbringing and being in the forefront of jazz, it kind of brought everything together from theater to law, to human interest, to everything. And it, it really was cool. That's exactly what I was thinking, by the way, as you said, I was like, there's the history, there's the artistic, the respect, whether or not you're into that particular genre of music. And also, so was this, this was like after your first year of law school? Yes, it was after my first year of law school. I never kind of sought the traditional path. I, I always knew that I would get to where I needed to go eventually. And I almost, and even when I recruit, I tend to ask, well, I I tend to favor students that have stories to tell. And that's what's going to make an organization what it is, their background, their stories. And listen, you don't have to have gone to the top college and the top law school to have a story. You may have great stories, but you could be a camp counselor for your entire life. And if you could talk to me passionately and articulately and tell your story, then you're someone that I'm going to want to have work down the hall for me. Jeff, you're speaking my language, everything about professional alignment, something I'm very passionate about. I think we'll probably talk even more about it during this show, but the same thing. And this obviously is a vehicle for Foley to share some of these stories. And I think to stress what you just said, that all of it informs, particularly if, you know, everyone on here, lawyers pretty much, but all of that informs your practice. And, you know, you can probably imagine in my role as director of diversity and inclusion, when I'm talking to law students that, you know, maybe like some sort of underrepresented background, first person in their family to go to law school, and they don't know how their story matches what they think is the prototypical lawyer. And I will remind them that all those things that you did that you think, you know, don't matter or aren't what lawyers have done. I One, one they are. They are what lawyers have done. Two, they do matter. And you've learned things that are invaluable that will make you better at client service, better at what you do. And I'm, I'm sure we'll talk more about that. But so let's get you through law school and then practicing. And I think you can continue weaving these, these lessons throughout. But you go back to law school, I assume it's that, you know, you'd found the practice you were passionate about. 
you know, what, what happens for those next few years and how do you end up practicing as a trademark, like copyright lawyer? Sure. First of all, I would rather have dinner, a delicious dinner on a chipped plate than a bland dinner on a perfectly round plate. I think it's the chips, it's the kinks, it's the scratches that make us unique. And it's funny, the first time I interviewed at Foley, I was a partner, I had just become a partner at Morgan Lewis, and I literally walked across the street. I met Peter Wang, and one of the first things he said to me, which I still remind him about, was, I have no idea what you do. I have no idea what a trademark lawyer does, but I would love to see you down the hall. And that has always stood out to me as creating this culture, this community, and frankly, why I returned to Foley. But during law school, I took copyright, I took trademark, I took First Amendment, I took patent classes, I took anything in, in, in IP that I thought would be interesting. Again, the World Wide Web was just starting, so we didn't have kind of some of those advanced classes. And summer after second year of law school, I did not work at a firm. I actually, during my second year of law school, obtained another internship at a very, very large financial institution. And I originally got the internship in their patent group. And their trademark lawyers said, I hear you have a law school intern. We need a lot of help in our trademark group. And so second semester of my second year, I was working in the trademark group of this financial services firm doing pretty much what I'm still doing today. And after that semester, they asked me to stay on for the summer. And so I worked at this uh, company all through my second semester, second year, that summer. And then I stayed on all through my third year. And then after I graduated, they offered me a position of being a trademark attorney at this company. And it was the completely different approach than any of my friends in law school were taking because they were, they were either going into public interest or they were going to a firm. And here I was going in-house. And it was probably the smartest thing I ever did for my career, not just because they ultimately became a client, but more importantly, it gave me initially that client perspective. That perspective. And it, it wasn't about even the substance. It was about knowing that they didn't have coffee supplies or they couldn't get IP Law 360 or they had their Blackberries, but they were nine to five, but they were still expected to be on transactions. It was getting a feel for what a client or what a company does, how they have to deal. And having that kind of insider inf information, knowing what they want it, but even more so how they want it, I think really informed my client care and my client development skills because I made it a priority to get to know my clients in person whenever possible, but really get to know the business, but also their day-to-day, -day, how they had to deal. That's a tremendous opportunity. So we have, you know, Foley people listen to the podcast, law students, and I think even maybe some people that aren't in law school listen. So just to orient those who may not be aware just a bit, like you said, typically when someone graduates from, from law school, it's really difficult to get a job 
in-house. A lot of times, what particularly if it's a larger corporation, what they're looking for would be lawyers who have a few years experience. So it was then, and it still is now, unusual to see someone go law, from law school straight to in-house. So I just want to stress that that really, you know, it, it can certainly happen. It does happen, but it's less likely. It's not the common path. I know you've mentioned a little bit sort of forging your own path. So how did you then make the transition from in-house to law firm life? When did that happen? It was really hard. So back in the day when I graduated law school, you could not get a job as a specialist at a firm without two years of corporate or two years of litigation. Firms did not have any kind of track for a 3L or even a 2L summer to do trademark work or copyright work or employment work or whatever the specialty was. And it was really hard because I didn't have two years of corporate and I didn't have two years of litigation. I only had my in-house trademark experience, but I knew that I needed to be at a firm. I knew that I needed to get that firm experience. Yep. And I have to stop you though, because you say, I, it's so funny, like now, because it sounds so absurd. I only had this really specific right. skill set that is useful and this really wonderful client perspective, but that's all that I had. That's right. That's right. But, you know, I remember having four different versions of my resume. One was my nuts and bolts trademark experience, you know, what, what I did on a daily basis. And that was for IP boutiques that had trademark departments. Then I had a resume that focused on my managerial experience, my people-to-people skills, you know, what I did when I was in-house that was beyond my specialty. And that was for other in-house positions. Then I had a resume that highlighted my litigation experience to the extent that I had third-party adversarial experience on the trademark side. And that was for a large firm that had a trademark group that my litigation experience would be able to translate. So I definitely had all these different versions of my resume because I didn't know what was available to me. And interestingly, what ended up being available to me was a firm in Philadelphia. And I was in New York. (laughs) And my wife at the time was working and going to business school at night and was pregnant. And we were about to have our first child. And I was commuting. I took the job because it was an IP boutique and they were they didn't look for litigation. They didn't look for corporate. They were basically saying, you've got the foundation that, that we want and we will train you. And I jumped at the chance and I commuted to Philadelphia each, you know, five days a week. It was, it was, I took the Northeast corridor and it was two hours on the door to door from my subway, subway on, on the West side, all the way to 30th street in Philadelphia. And I did that for a year and a half. And I got incredible experience at this boutique, but it it was really the first time that I felt this opportunity that I I couldn't pass up. I I mean, I could have stayed in-house. There are some benefits of being in private practice. It doesn't have to be a large firm, but the publications, the being able to walk down the hall to a, a corporate lawyer or a patent lawyer or a biologist or someone on the IP side. 
just the the kind of benefits and the growth and the trajectory that you can make being you know at an outside firm earlier in your career i think has has some good benefits too i mean now or back then you know being in house was much more 9 to 5 and i remember when kind of blackberries came out and all of the in house lawyers realized that their jobs just became 24/7 and it wasn't a lifestyle choice to be in house anymore so, but yeah, I commuted to Philadelphia uh, two hours each way, twice a day. I remember kind of, we, my wife and I lived in a studio at that time. So I would walk in the door and our daughter would be sleeping and she was a horrible sleeper. And we'd have to be so quiet that four nights a week, we would eat dinner in the bathroom and open our mail in the bathroom and eat dinner in the bathroom or watch the TV closed captioned because- don't wake the baby. Do not. We didn't want to wake her. <laughs> no matter what happens, exactly. do not wake the baby. <laughs> exactly. It's certainly by the time our fourth child was born, if the pacifier fell on the floor or fell in the street, I just put it back in her you mouth. Just get, like, I, you see what you you quickly start <laughs> to see like why people how how birth order affects things because exactly. you're like oh yeah because third fourth you're like whatever they're fine Let's here's a go. lollipop here's a lollipop when you're two months old <laughs> or here's a French fry whatever makes well, you happy but it's funny so many of the things you were just saying so as I share this podcast particularly with law students I will say in many ways this show is like a mentor in your pocket. Right. So if you can press play and listen, but you just said so many things or that I would session. or therapy, exactly, <laughs> whatever you want to call it, but that I would file under masterclass because what I often tell law students is you need to get trained. You need to learn how to be a lawyer. And like you said, there's a lot of places you can do that. You can certainly do that in house. But law firms, and I think in particular, the bigger law firms were very good at training people because of the dynamics that you just said. There's generally, there's resources. There's a lot of different people, you know, at a firm as big as Foley, we have dedicated professional services folks who are here to help train the lawyers as well. But I think that's so important because I have a feeling we will be talking more about, you know, passion and professional alignment. But you need to ideally have both, particularly early in your career. You sort of live and die by who's teaching you to be a lawyer, because ultimately that can never be taken from you. But you do need to learn how, and you don't come out of law school just knowing how to practice. So you prioritizing getting that experience makes a ton of sense to me. You need a really good mentor. You need a, a champion. You need a confidant. You need someone that you can rely on and ask the stupid questions. And when you can find someone like that, there's a sense of security that you really can't replace. And it, it's incredibly important, actually, in every stage of your career, even at, at my age at this point, being 25 plus years into this thing. And my wife will tell you, I'm I'm not even at the peak of my career. I have, a, I have another 30 years to go. I'll be working for a long time. But the other thing is, and, and what's equally as important, you need to figure out what is the most important thing to you. Because I will tell you that sometimes has to take priority over certain other things. And I'll give you an example. So I needed to leave being in-house. And the only firm that was willing to give me an opportunity was in another city. But the most important thing to me at that time was experience. So I was living in Manhattan on a Pennsylvania salary. 
but it was a conscious choice because the most important thing to me at that time was the experience. So I was there for a year and a half. When I came back to New York, the most important thing to me at that time was being able to come back to Manhattan, being able to be in closer proximity to my wife and my daughter. And so that became the priority. At some point, you know, when I, and, and it was to another large law firm. And at that point, I was there for 10, 10 or so years. And the priority became after that, I want something of my own. I want to build something of my own. I want to create something of my own. I want to be a part of something that we can build. And that's when I first made the move to Foley because the New York office had only been open a couple of years. There was no IP in New York. The, the then chair of the IP department, Sharon Barner, who was just awesome, said, you know, I need folks to, to take a look at the practice from a national perspective. So there needed to be a kind of coming together of, of the national practice. And so that was the priority kind of at that point. So at every point in my career that I've pivoted or that I've changed or that I've done something different, it's because of a different priority at that time. And that's okay. There have been a lot of associates who have left firms that I've been at because their priority is financial. I need to pay back my school loans. Or their priority is I need to be near my parents. My mom is ill. And those are incredibly important decisions. And they're incredibly personal decisions. And that's why you should never, ever say anything other than good luck congratulations. That is exactly what you should be doing to somebody that gives notice because these decisions are important and they, they shouldn't, they're not taken lightly, but they, you shouldn't discount it. You know, sometimes you take a position because it pays better, but the experience is not as good. Or sometimes you take a position that doesn't pay anything, but you needed that experience. All of those decisions are super important if they get you forward. It doesn't have to be a gigantic leap, but if it gets you to the next place, and that's why you look at your career as two to five years rather than 10 years, and you create these small little steps in between, and eventually you'll string together the career that you want. Yes. Oh my gosh. Once again, so many awesome things in what you just said. So I spent a couple of years as a legal recruiter. That was my pivot between legal practice and then doing diversity inclusion work, which I do now. But I still get a lot of people who will reach out to me, particularly because I'm very active on LinkedIn and people want advice on their career. They want answers. And I inevitably have to turn people back to themselves. And it's one of those where like, you already know what your priority is for whatever reason you've reached out to this random Alexis Robertson person because for some reason you think I have some answers, but I don't. I'm going to turn you back to yourself and likely give you permission to go ahead and listen to the thing that you already want to be doing. But I think part of the stress, particularly for young lawyers, is they don't have that just couple of years or so mindset. They are focused on the 30 years and they've decided that at 30 years, I want to be now pick, you know, a partner at a law firm or a general counsel, or I want to move into the business. Like, and then they're confused and they're like looking at their watch and they're like, but I need to make that move tomorrow. <laughs> and not necessarily appreciating the many process. steps. The, yeah, they're not necessarily enjoying the process because perhaps they maybe don't have the passion for what they're currently doing. So they can't actually be where they are. 
they're hanging out in the future where things are, you know, supposedly going to become perfect, but not realizing that, you know, it's not always going to be the, you know, glamorous or you're not going to reach your destination point in 18 months. And that I think is very hard. But I also think, and I've seen this as a recruiter is for a lot of lawyers in the beginning, it's the training while balancing everything else in life. But once you get the training, I think a lot of attorneys start to have a bit more fun once they hit that 10, 15 years into their career. And in particular, autonomy, which is sort of what I heard you saying about building your own thing, autonomy and having more control over your, you know, whatever that looks like, whether it be at a firm or in-house becomes a high priority. But I find that trajectory really interesting. And it's also something that I just don't think junior lawyers necessarily understand. I mean, why would you? It's definitely a marathon, not a sprint, but I do wish I could give people the gift of be where you are, extract the most learning and value out of where you are right now, and then make a change when it's necessary versus always stressing out about the future. You will get everything you want in life, just never when you want it. And so if you keep that in mind, you will embrace what it is that you encounter, then be upset about what you think you're losing or what you think you don't have. It's, it's, it's such a hard lesson to learn. It's so tough. And I, and I try to tell my kids all, I I try to teach that to my kids. You know, it's, it's not about the end game. It's about the process. My, one of my daughters, I remember going into her uh, parent teacher conference and the teacher said, well, Lucy doesn't know her math facts. She doesn't know that five times five is 25. She was, this was fifth grade. She hadn't memorized her facts. And I looked at the teacher and I said, does she share? Is she a good girl? Is she sympathetic to a fellow classmate? Does she give her snack to somebody who doesn't have a snack? Oh yes, Lucy's great. I said, then say less. I'm just learning that new phrase, (laughs) say less. (laughs) Like then I, then that's, that's all that matters. And that's nowhere has it even hit even further home than coming back to Foley. Because I feel like Foley was the first place that I went to. I was literally a partner at Morgan Lewis for a year and a half, two years. And in the 10 years that I was at Foley is when I expanded my practice, my profession, my professional experience, who I was as a trademark lawyer in those 10 years than any other part in my career, that that trajectory. And I left thinking that I needed to experience something that I thought Foley didn't have. Maybe I should try these Silicon Valley-based tech and life sciences firms. They seem so cool. What is with these California firms? Why am I, you know, not at one of those kinds of firms? And I, you know, and that's fine. Maybe that was my priority at the time. And I left. And in thinking about it now, it's okay. I've gone to college. I've seen the world. And now I'm ready to move back home with my parents because I because now what's important is the people, is mm-hmm. the culture, is the clients will come and go, work will come and go, and when you've been doing it for a long enough time, it's largely the same. You know, trademark prosecution, trademark litigation, trademark clearance, trademark counseling, we do the same things. The clients may be different, but our tasks are the same. So what is not the same is the tent under 
which you practice. Mm -hmm. I love the analogy though that you just gave of, you know, it's like the leaving home, traveling the world, deciding to come home. But what I love about that analogy is that all those steps are really important. So to be clear, it's like not to disparage the decisions to spend time other places. I'm sure they played integral roles in your development and your career. But kind of, you know, you've gone out, seen some things, came back. I will say for my part, I definitely heard a lot of buzz about Jeff Green returning to the firm. <laughs> There's a lot of excitement about that. And people are like, you got to get him on the podcast. So so here we are. So I know, I know as a firm, we are very happy to have you back. Um, but there's something you said a few minutes ago that I want to circle back to so we can maybe dig a bit more into your practice sure. and then maybe a bit more into some Foley propaganda and even some more advice to to lawyers or okay. junior lawyers. But you said, I'm 25 years into my career and I'm not even at the pinnacle. I probably, I, you have another 30 years to go. I love, because I think that really does exhibit how much you enjoy what you do. It's one thing, but tell me more about your practice. You've said some words about trademark clearance and all that. So far, I've had Mark Diliberti on the show. He did talk a little bit about what it means to you know, have the practice that you have. But tell us a little more about it, because we likely have some listeners who, like, they know the words you're saying, but what do you, what do you actually do? Sure. So I help companies create, protect, enforce, license, sell, monetize their brands. And their brand can be a well-known brand that we see on a shelf or that we see an advertisement on TV, or it could be a company that provides goods and services that we have no idea about, but their brand matters or their intellectual property matters. I don't, I don't handle patent work. Um, I'm a theater major. Not, I'm not, you know, I did not, I don't have an engineering background. I acted and, but I do handle some copyright. I do handle some advertising. So I'll give you a couple of examples of literally what's on my desk at this moment. Right now, I'm working for a very large online jewelry retailer who actually, I didn't even know that was them until I mentioned to my daughters that I have a conference call with them and they freaked out asking about discounts and coupon codes. And they are contemplating opening kind of brick and mortar establishments outside the US and expanding their brand globally. So we are looking at a variety of countries, conducting trademark searches and looking at whether or not they can use their brand outside the US. And if not, can they license a, you know, their brand? There's a couple of entities that we found in some countries. So they're maybe looking to acquire some of those companies so that they can establish rights uh, trademark rights outside the U.S. I'm working with a, another client who creates software solutions and platforms for others, and they are in the process of completely rebranding kind of their their platform names. So we have been working on conducting trademark searches in about 17 or 18 countries outside the U.S. We've been looking at social media handles and domain names and acquiring those and helping the client navigate how it can establish trademark rights to this new brand, both in the U.S. and outside the U.S. For another client, which is in the online delivery of products and services, you probably have heard of it. It is looking to expand its footprint. And for this client, we're actually taking 
you know, a legal approach, obviously, but also a marketing approach, which has been really interesting working with the in-house marketing teams, talking through how we can mechanically do everything that we're saying to do legally, but how, what does it really look like from a marketing perspective? So that's been really interesting. There are times when I have a, a, a litigation where we're either being sued by or received, received a cease and desist letter by another company claiming that our brand infringes their brand for whatever reason, it's too close or the goods and services are too similar or we're taking action. Certainly in certain countries like China, there are cyber squatters and we're trying to enforce our rights against these third parties that have almost trolled the U.S., and then reserve the rights in their country and waited, you know, waiting for us to enter. So that can be a challenge. I just had a client email me on Thursday. They're a large direct-to-consumer wine distributor, which obviously during COVID, their their sales rose, you know, five hundred percent, and I probably was a good piece of that. And they were they had created a series of advertisements, and they wanted our take. On you know what are they obligated to say? What are they? What can't they say? How can they create an ad that talks about other brands? And so that's been kind of really interesting. So it's not that the company kind of stuff. I mean, sometimes it is when it's the house mark or it's the the big brand, but it's it's the day to day marketing and trademark legal and what makes trademarks fun is knowing that. When you see an ad, or you see the product, or you are watching TV, or you're in the store, it's very real. These brands are real, and you know it's you can make this connection with the in-house lawyer and develop this relationship where you can truly become their trusted advisor. And if you if you do it well, you're not just providing legal advice, but you're providing sound business solutions. At the same time, and that to me is what makes the practice incredibly exciting. You know, trademarks. Yes, there is this trademark statute, but we're not looking at trademark code. We're kind of looking at an ad. We're looking at a mark. We're looking at a brand, and we're thinking, hmm. Well, we're opining on this color scheme, or we're opining on this logo, or maybe you could add this word, or or it's much more gray. And I think the gray, the shading. Just like we've been talking about this whole time, that's what's going to make your practice interesting. That's what's going to make the counseling interesting. Well, and I would love also to get your thoughts on taking, you know, going back to professional development, how one develops this expertise. And one of the reasons I'm asking this question is when I had Mark Dilber- Dilberti on, and he was, uh, so he's the chair of the of Foley's trademark copyright advertising group, was he did mention that it can be a tough practice, particularly in the first few years, because it's trademark, copyright, and advertising, and you end up needing to get up to speed on essentially all of these. And that can be somewhat daunting for somebody new in their legal career. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on that of how, I mean, I know you have to just kind of jump in and do the work, but for someone who's in the trenches, what are your recommendations to either somebody who wants to get into that area or who's there, but just wants to continue learning? And things have changed. You know, it used to be back in the day when you were a first or second or even third year associate, you did a lot of research and memos. You you know, a partner or a senior associate would come to you and say, you know, we need this issue researched. And you would research the issue and draft a five-page memo. First of all, there's there's no time for that. 
anymore at all. But second of all, in, in trademarks and copyrights in advertising, there's no use for it. So what we do is we respond directly to clients, directly to foreign counsel. There's no time to, you know, yeah, sometimes we research an issue when we provide a client with, with context, but there, there's no time for that. So you do have to jump in two feet first and you have to really immerse yourself and saying, well, I took a trademark class in law school is really not enough. But for me, I think the most important thing is you have to love it. It has to be interesting. It has to be something that you are excited about. And I tell this to you know, associates also all the time, because I think it's important in trademark and copyright and advertising, and really any practice, is the earlier you can develop a niche, the better off you'll be. You, you can keep your feet in all the different areas, and you can be that generalist in your area. But maybe there's one particular part of the practice that you absolutely love. I love drafting office action responses. I, I writing back to the US Patent and Trademark Office and arguing, I love that. Well, then be the best office action writer that you can. Or I had, I had one associate once who was really having a hard time deciding what it is that they wanted to focus on. And I said, well, what do you like to do outside of the office? And he said, well, I like to go mountain biking or I like to bike. I said, well, there's tons of technology in there from the actual bike itself to the wearable tech, to the Fitbit, to the whatever, to the sunscreen. All of those things have brands. All of those brands have trademark issues and all those lawyers need help. Write an, write an article in that area. Get to know that field. You know, be one of five lawyers in a room of business people than one of 5,000 lawyers. And you got to love it. And you, and you have to give it the time that it takes. Mm -hmm. you're, you're not going to get it in your first year. And it may suck. And you may get really bad feedback. And I think this is a shock to a lot of lawyers. And I think a lot of lawyers are type A, or they're overachievers, or they're used to being very successful at, at school, or in law school, or in life in general, and it's also a generational thing. Maybe some of the some of the millennials, you know, who like more feedback or well, everyone was given us gold stars growing exactly, up. So where's my gold exactly. star? No, no. when I first started in private practice, it was you had yellers, you had screamers, you know, you had difficult partners, and that's okay. You kind of need that. And it doesn't mean you're a bad person when you get the wrong outcome, or it doesn't mean you're a bad person when you found the wrong case. It just means you need time to develop. And if you work at a firm like Foley, and you work for people that are good mentors and that are invested in your personal and your professional development, their feedback is not going to be, you suck. Their feedback is going to be, I like the way you did this. Next time, let's talk through this. You had good instincts here. You know, maybe, maybe we should write an article together. Maybe we should do some research together and you can get to know that side of the practice or attend this conference. You know, those are the people that are going to make a difference. And those are the people Absolutely. that are going to, that are going to help you round the corner. Cause once you round the corner. Well, and I think if I could sum up your advice, it's like, it's going to be hard, 
but it's not as hard if you actually like what you do or at least some aspect of what you do. I think that advice obviously can be globalized well beyond just the, you know, trademark copyright advertising practice. And I think, I hope particularly the law students heard what you said when it's, you have to learn how to do this job. You're not going to be great at it at first. And if your expectation is to come out, you know, get more gold stars, that's probably not what's going to happen. But best right. case, you have some good mentors who can kindly tell you what you did okay and kindly tell you all the other areas where you where you need to improve. But I think back to what we've been, kind of this thread we followed about passion, something I very much learned while I was practicing. And I think some people think this is cliche, the whole do what you love. Sure, I need to do what, what pays the rent. But within those things that allow you to pay the rent, find something that you're curious about or that you like, because the, the bottom line is if you're working with colleagues who do have that passion and do have that curiosity, they will outwork you merely because they're interested. They will develop merely because they're interested. And so that's wonderful advice of go learn about the trademark issues or patent issues or whatever issues surrounding the bike technology. If that's something you're going to sometimes read about, you know, while you're commuting home on the train. That's right. But it's really, really, really important advice that I think we are all too likely to kind of slough off and be like, oh, whatever, I'll figure it out. Like I can, I can just deal with drudgery for the next 40 years. And I would humbly submit that you cannot. No, you no. Cannot. <laughs> and, I, and I think I think junior associates and, and, and law school graduates in particular think that they don't have options, that they are just the doers, that they are just sitting in their office waiting for the work to be allocated. And there's a, there's a coordinator who, who coordinates all, all the work. It's yours for the taking. You know, it's if you want it, Go get it, and if you if you want to be the doer, be the doer. That's that's good too. You know, there's no judgment, and and I think you're not alone. I mean, you're you're in a group of of people, and again, it goes back to culture. It goes back to Foley Foley's culture. We're a big tent, and I think it's what brought me back. I think having been at other places and having seen how they operate and how sausages are made and and how and how and where IP and how and where trademarks in particular falls within IP and within the structure of the firm, Foley is, is a big tent. And there's something incredibly comforting and warm about that because what it means is there's room for everyone and there's, an, and there's enough space for everyone. And as long as we can continue to make that room, Tent's a great, it's a great place to be. Yep. Well, and I also, you know, to pick up another one of your analogies, the sausage analogy. So all these big firms, we're all making sausage. Hopefully you eventually get to see how it's made, find the particularly particular factory and flavor and, you know, mechanism that That's right. most appeals to you. But as we, we wrap up and you've already given so much wonderful advice, you know, at the risk of being repetitive, but I do want to ask you one, if there's anything you wanted to share or highlight that you haven't gotten a chance to touch on, and then secondarily, what's your sort of large overarching advice to somebody contemplating a legal career or who's perhaps junior in their career? Sure. That's kind of actually the, the easier thing. And that is find as many perspectives as you can. If you are contemplating going to law school or you're contemplating wanting to be a quote lawyer, not a partner, but a lawyer, then ask everyone that you know that is a lawyer or everyone that you know that is not a lawyer 
but maybe does things that you find interesting. Why, why'd you do that? How'd you get there? What was your path? You know, whether, whether it's a, a, an associate or a partner at a law firm, what made you choose this law firm? What made you choose this career? Is it a, a law professor? Why did you decide to teach? You know, did you go to law school? You know, all of those things get as many perspectives as you can because not all will resonate, but the ones that do will help give you direction and help kind of guide your, your decision-making. It's not, it's not for everyone. So you have to really want it. You know, law school is challenging. Law school is difficult. And the, the law field, lawyers get a bad rap and the law field is challenging and it can be difficult. So it's not something that you can try out for a number of years. So the more perspective, the more questions that you ask, even once you are an associate or once you are have your first job at a law school, ask questions. Ask people. If there's somebody that you trust, find a friend. Find someone to partner with. Find someone to ask questions to. Find a mentor. Hopefully your firm has a program where they kind of match you with people, but also get involved because when you can kind of step outside your office, and I mean that literally and metaphorically, when you can step outside your office and look at other people's experience, again, getting that perspective, it'll open your eyes to a whole host of things. And sometimes when I've counseled associates on that, it's led to them leaving the firm, but that's fine. You know, we don't save lives here. And I say this to associates after I, you know, and I'm not a red line kind of guy, but sometimes a red line helps really kind of drill in the differences that people need to think about. But sometimes I've had an associate cry in my office, not because of feedback that I've given, but they just, they're overwhelmed. And I look them in the eye and say, we're not brain surgeons here. We're not saving lives. You know, you're not helping a brand owner. Is, is not life or death. It can be for that person, that in-house counsel, but it's really not. And, and your profession should, should have fun in it as well. So the more perspective and the more people you can find that you can relate to, I think the better off you'll be in the long run. And that's how you'll reach that professional alignment that you started off exactly. talking about. And that's <laughs> why you'll never leave Foley. <laughs> there you go. Well, Jeff, thank you. Thank you so much for being on the show. I'm assuming that if someone wants to reach out to you, of course. I don't know, pick, they can find you on Foley's website, send you an email. Happy to. Happy to help. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Jeff. All right. Thanks. Thank you for listening to The Path and the Practice. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and join us again next time. And if you did enjoy it, please share it, subscribe, and leave us a review as your feedback on the podcast is important to us. Also, please note that this podcast may be considered attorney advertising and is made available by Foley and Lardner LLP for informational purposes only. This podcast does not create an attorney-client relationship. Any opinions expressed herein do not necessarily reflect the views of Foley and Lardner LLP, its partners, or its clients. Additionally, this podcast is not meant to convey the firm's legal position on behalf of any client, nor is it intended to convey specific legal advice.